All right. Good morning. Okay. I'm glad three of you are here. How you doing this morning? Good. It's day four. It's day four, and we are at reInvent, and it has probably been crazy. I don't know about you guys, but it's been crazy for me. This is the 10th session I'm speaking in this, this week, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm glad you're here. Uh, my name is Eric Johnson. Let me tell you a little bit about who I am. Uh, I have to trust you're out there because I can't see anything. The lights are so bright up here. So uh, my name is Eric Johnson. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at edjgeek. I am a senior developer advocate for serverless, and uh, I am a tooling uh, you know, automation nerd. I've been a software architect or a solutions architect since 1995, so I'm kind of an old guy. I've been doing this for a long time, either on the side or as, as my main gig. I am a music lover. I was a drummer. I started life as a drummer. I was going to be a professional drummer, so here's what I figured out. Turns out I am a phenomenal drummer for one finger, but I'm fairly average in life. So nobody's gonna pay me to drum. So I was like, oh, I gotta think of something else to do here. So uh, a couple of rules when I'm speaking. Now, now it's probably more like guidelines. It's gonna help you out, but these, these are things that are gonna help you understand what's going on, okay? And it's okay uh, to laugh, it's okay to be comfortable here, but this is the first rule. This is any number I want it to be. Okay, I'm going to hold this up and I'm going to say a 7 or an 11 or a 52, and that's the number. It's not what I'm holding up, it's what I'm saying, unless sometimes it does match, sometimes it's a 1. Okay, I can get to 4 if I take my shoes off, but that just gets awkward for everybody. Okay, I have gone into like restaurants like table for 7 please, because I have 5 kids. Yes, believe it or not, 5 kids. It's table for 7 and I find myself alone at the bar. So. Uh, second rule is these are quotes, not apostrophes. Okay? I know that, but this looks better than this. Okay? I do this and someone's like, is he doing a bunny rabbit? I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Okay? And I guarantee you there's still people coming in. I'm going to do this later and they're going to be like, is he waving at us? I'm not waving at you unless I am. Okay, and it's contextual, you have to figure it out. Okay, the last rule is these are thumbs. I do this a lot too, I was like, yeah, it was great. And you can see people like, oh, oh are you fist bumping? Nope, okay, I don't know what to do with that. I do know I have one finger, I did not wake up this way this morning. Okay, no, that didn't make sense. I did wake up this way this morning. I did, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't wake up for the first time like this this morning, okay? If I did, as much as I love you, I would not be here with you. I'd be somewhere coping, okay? Just to let you know, I do tell one-finger jokes. I'm very comfortable with it. You're welcome to ask me things. But if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm also comfortable with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you. So either way, I'm good. Enjoy. So, all right. So today we're going to be talking about APIs, specifically API Gateway. Did anybody hear the announcement we had yesterday? HTTP APIs? Good. I'm glad that one person heard it. We'll talk later. Excellent. All right. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it today. We're not going to spend much time there, uh, but I'm pretty excited about it. 
So I want to level set this just so you know, this is a 200 level uh, session and it is a serverless session. So we're going to be talking about APIs in relation to serverless, but this can actually apply all over the place. So, uh, you know, it, 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 it'll be something that hopefully will be helpful. When you leave here, I'm hoping that you'll say, I didn't know API Gateway did that. Okay, and you'll be like, wow. Or if you say, well, I already knew that. Well, good, I'm glad, but hopefully I will teach you something today. Now, how many of y'all work with APIs now? Okay, good part of the room. How many of y'all are like, I can't even spell API? <laughs> Nobody raised their hand, thank you. Trick question, it's okay. So, real quick so we understand, let me ask this question also. How many are using API Gateway on Amazon? All righty, excellent, okay, so we have some data. How many of y'all are evaluating it? All right, so we got a good mix in the room. I won't make you raise your hands all day. Uh, just I wanted to get some information there. We have a good mix, so let's do this real quick. What is an API anyway, okay? And most of you probably know what it is, but there's probably some in the room that's like, I don't know. Is it API? Is it API? You get Corey Quinn in here. You he can help us pronounce it pro yeah. properly. So, okay. According to the all-authoritative Wikipedia, it says, in building applications, an API simplifies programming by abstracting the underlying implementation and only exposing objects or actions the developer needs, okay? So the idea here is, and we're not gonna get heavily into the definition because you'll kind of get it as we're going along, but the idea is it abstracts off the communication between services and allows, the, allows your, your services to speak to each other without having to contain that business logic within your application. Right? So you kind of abstract that off. There's a very standard way of doing that with REST APIs. We have WebSocket APIs, uh, and there are other formats coming out. But uh, that's, that's how services can talk to each other, even within the same application or cross-application. So we look at a really simple definition or, or diagram. I drew this. I'm pretty proud. I started as a designer. Turns out I'm a really bad designer, too. But I did this. Very proud of it. Uh, so you get the idea you have a client. And this is an example of a REST API, okay? You have a client where they're gonna do a request, they're gonna talk to the API, that API is then gonna talk to the services behind it, and it can be any number of things. In our world, it's usually a lambda, but it might be something else, and so we'll talk on that. And then it does a response back to the client. So you have these patterns and these packages that are getting passed. In serverless, this is generally done through API Gateway. Now, the reason I want to do this is, here's the truth about API Gateway, and you'll pardon me if I take a drink real quick here. Here's the truth about API, or about API Gateway. Today you're going to learn a lot about the functionality and, and the features and some of the advanced features that it does. Now we're not going to get into so much the how do you do it, but more of the did you know you could do it. Okay? You're going to see the conceptual ideas. And the truth here is, if you're not using these, if you're using API Gateway and you're just proxying a Lambda, okay? so all I'm doing is my API Gateway is just passing data back and forth, you're probably overpaying. Okay? Now, we're going to cut that from the video. You know, they don't need to know I'm in here going, that's expensive. Okay? But if you're not using the tools it is, and that's one of the reasons we released HTTP, I can't say that, HTTP API, which is a new service we just released yesterday that's part of the API gateway. What we're looking to do is if for simpler workflows that you're just proxying lambdas, you can do it at 70% cheaper with a, with a more intuitive workflow with the HTTP API. So keep that in mind. If you're looking, look, 
I don't need throttling, I don't need caching, I don't need WAF or resource things or all the things that I'm gonna talk about today, then look at HTTP API. It's in preview right now, but it is in our goal over the next while as we're, as we're moving into 2020 to advance the, the, the user interface with API Gateway, give you more power and resources and reduce costs. So just so you know that. All right, so let's get into API Gateway and some of the things it can do. Right, so first of all, when you think about API Gateway, you wanna think about it as kind of two parts. What can talk to API Gateway and what can API Gateway talk to? You have a front and a back and you're gonna need to think about those separately. So let's talk about the front for a minute. There's three kinds of ways you can talk to API Gateway. How many? Okay, good. All right, somebody in the back, that's a one. I know math, I know numbers. Okay. so. First is an edge optimize. These are in no particular order. Edge optimize. What edge optimize does is it will actually, through API Gateway, it will maintain, it will create and maintain a CloudFront distribution for you. So your API Gateway may live here, but we're gonna push your requests and stuff out to the edge. So it's gonna be local and closer to your clients and reduce latency, okay? The second thing you have is a regional, okay? This is recommended uh, API type for just making sure that's not my phone. That would be horrible. Sorry about that. Uh, regional, recommended API type for general use cases, okay? Now, regional is if, you're, if you spin something up with like SAM, if you're using the serverless application model, most likely it's gonna be a regional, it's gonna be a proxy to Lambda, okay? And, and now, one of the fun things is if you want more control over like a CDN and how your CDN is gonna work on the edge, you can create a regional one and put your own CDN through CloudFront in front of it. Okay, so you have the power to do that. And the third one is a private, which is only accessible from within a VPC and networks connected to a VPC. So you can actually have an API that, look, we're gonna, we're gonna use this to give access, you know, we, we want internally, we've got a service that we're using API, or we need an API for that we don't wanna make public, you can use a private API. So let's expand this architecture a little bit. And sometimes, this used to be the first slide I, I would show, especially in a room of nobody, of where, where people have not seen API Gateway, it's like, whoa, I'm leaving. That's complex. So this is not every, what this slide is, is designed to show you is everything kind of a, that API Gateway can do or some recommendations. Now remember, I was saying, when you think of API Gateway, you think about how it can be talked to from the front, so what can talk to it, and what can it talk to? And we talked about the three ways you can talk to it. Okay, and you can see here again, it's kind of diagramming where services, edge services can talk to it. But on the back side, there's multiple things that it can talk to, that it can give you access to. Now the first thing is, obviously, AWS services. Now in serverless, most of the time that's gonna be a Lambda. But sometimes it doesn't have to be. It can be over one of over 100 plus services that you can connect to and integrate with directly. Okay, the second thing is, is you can connect to, we'll go down here to uh, VP, stuff inside of a VPC. Okay, so if you have stuff privately contained like EC2 instances, uh, things like that inside of VPC, you can use a API Gateway through a VPC link to connect to that. Okay, it does it through an NLB. And then the other one I would point out to you is the idea of connecting to anything that has an HTTP endpoint. Okay, one of the, one of the um, 
proof of concepts that I did for, for a, a group of uh, people that were working on location service is they needed to be able to do some locational uh, translations, basically. I've got, I've got some geo coordinates, I need address. I've got addresses, I need geo coordinates. So they were using Google, trans or Google uh, location services for that. But what they didn't want to deal with was the licensing. You know, you have a specific time, amount of time that you can uh, cache that. You have a specific amount of time that, you know, how much you can, how many times can you hit it at a, at a, in a second? So what they did, and what we helped them do, is to take an API gateway and drop it in front of a Google location service. So that was the proof of concept, right? So then all that control was handled at the proof of concept, or, or at the API gateway, and not at Google. So the different clients, they didn't have to do it for. So you can point to anything. Uh, we, we have a show that I do called Happy Little APIs. It's on Twitch. And we do an example of that where we build a front end to GitHub and GitLab. And, and let, you're able to switch it with just literally just change in string, but the client has no idea and it's transparent to them. All right, so at the API Gateway, we support two protocols at the moment. These are HTTP, and, which is you know, like a REST API, and WebSocket. Now, if you don't know the difference, with HTTP, what that is, is it is literally a round trip conversation. Hey, I'm asking you something, and hey, you tell me something. Okay, we're done. Okay, it's a request and a response, that's it. With a WebSocket communication, it is, hey, I'm gonna connect to you, and you're gonna be connected to me, and we're gonna be chatty. We're gonna send information back and forth as needed. So the interesting thing here is, once that's connected and that conversation is going, the back end can actually communicate with the front end without a request to, to being made from the front end. So this is great for like chat clients, uh, a lot of other things, but that's the difference between a WebSocket uh, and a REST API. So one of the questions I get a lot of times, all right, how do I build API Gateway? What's the best practice for configuring an API Gateway? There are six ways you can, you can configure API Gateway. Six common ways, okay? You might, there, there are some others, you might get into some like Terraform or something like that, but on, on uh, Amazon. First is through the management console. Now that's a great place to learn, and I encourage you, if you've never been in the, man, the, the, the management console, climb in. Create an API, add a resource, add a method, connect it to a backend, follow that through, okay? Especially with our new HTTP API. Take a look at that and see what it does, okay? But the problem with that is, if I have to build it again in another region, or I delete it and I wanna build it again, I gotta remember all those steps. I have to have all those steps written down, okay? So, so we encourage you to learn there, but as you start to manage it and start to manage large configurations, you wanna move into some other steps. The next one we have is the AWS command line interface. You can create uh, an API gateway, you can control it. This is good for scripting if you, need to, if you need to do some, like your own bash scripts, things like that. But where I would tell you to start when you're, when you're managing API is to do it either through SAM or CloudFormation, okay? Now there's some other ones as well, but these are, these are where I tend to start. Now if you're not familiar with SAM, SAM is the serverless application model. It's designed specifically to build serverless applications. Okay, and it does support uh, much of API Gateway's uh, syntax and, and setting it up. Okay, it, it CloudFormation also does. You can do CloudFormation to build it. SAM sits on top of CloudFormation. Okay, so you use SAM and, and then it's transformed to CloudFormation. So you use, use those together. If it's something that SAM can't handle, like if you get into some really granular stuff or you're managing a lot of big things or you're passing templates, then you can use OpenAPI or Swagger. And Swagger is just an older version of OpenAPI, so we'll just say OpenAPI for the moment. 
So that's another way you can do it. And that is an open, that, that's not just a, an AWS thing. That's, the, you know, a lot of people use open API for that. We have some specific API tags that are built in, our API gateway tags that we add to our templates so you can pass those around from API gateway to API gateway, but it's also, um, the rest of it is conforms to the open API uh, semantics. So, and the last one is a cloud development kit or the CDK. Anybody using the CDK now? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing. If you're not familiar with the CDK, it is a programmatic approach, right? Whereas CloudFormation is, is very, uh, you know, you're gonna do a template, right? Now you have some logic, you can put some logic in there, but you're not gonna get into heavy looping and heavy, heavy logic in, in your CloudFormation. So that's where you would go to like CDK. So that's, those are the different ways that you can manage that. All right, so let's talk about integrating, okay? And this is where we're gonna climb into the, wow, I didn't know it did that. All right, so there's multiple ways you can integrate uh, on the back end. And, we kind of, and I kind of pointed to some, but let's get a little more specific, okay? So the first and most common way we see, or first, I'm not gonna say it's the most common, the most common way I see is a Lambda function. And there's two ways you can connect to that. And I know that this gets confusing, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna break it down a little for you, okay? With the Lambda function, I can connect to it via proxy, or I can connect to it via an integration, okay? Uh, and and I'll, I'll break that down in a minute. I can also do the HTTP, which I talked about earlier. I can do an AWS service. I can connect over 100 plus service endpoints directly integrated with those. And I can hit through a VPC link, which I talked about earlier, where we're gonna connect uh, via a, a NLB and you can hit uh, stuff in a, in a VPC. Now let's look at this mock here. I kind of skipped it. So this is an interesting one. Let me ask you this. How many y'all know, know what Coors is? C-O-R-S, not <laughs> Coors the beer from Colorado where I'm from. We know that too. All right, all right, keep your hands up. How many of y'all know what Coors is? How many of y'all love it? Yeah, exactly. How many of y'all hate it with all your life? And if Coors had a face, you'd punch it in the nose. <laughs> Me too, okay? Coors is not fun, and I wanna find the guy that created Coors and take his beer away. Okay, and I'm not a beer drinker, I'm a Diet Dr. Pepper drinker, and if he had a Diet Dr. Pepper, I would tackle him. Okay? So what, what we've done here is, let me just quick explanation. If you're not familiar with Coors, Coors is a security at the browser level. And if I'm a one domain and I'm calling another domain, so let's say I'm at www.ihatecores.com, and I need to call api.ihatecoresbadly.com, the browser's gonna go, nope, I don't know what that is, I'm, 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 nope, I, that's not secure, I'm not gonna do it. So, what the, what the server needs to do, the browser does a pre-flight check, okay? It does this, hey, how are you check? So it calls out and says, hey, I'm me, and I need you to tell me what I can do. And the server responds and says, here's what you can do, and that's called an options call, right? And then what the server, the browser would then do is, okay, here's what I wanna do. And the server says, okay, that's great. More likely your first 200 times, like, nope, you didn't get it right, because this is Coors and it's hard, <laughs> okay? So what we can do with a mock integration is this is kind of a non-integration. It doesn't integrate to anything on the backside, because it doesn't need anything on the backside to tell it, hey, respond with these headers, respond with these values that, to tell it. So you can actually do your options call right at the API gateway, and, and then it's just a real quick response. So that's what a mock is. And you can do that for other things, but that's one of the common usages. All right, so let's get to this question. 
I love this one. So I'll ask people like, oh yeah, we're connected to, we're connected to a Lambda. Uh, we use API Gateway, it's connected to a Lambda. I go, great, are you doing that through a proxy or an integration? And you can see their eyes go, uh, we're doing it through the internet. <laughs> they clicked a button. We're doing it through a click button. All right, so there's two ways you can connect. Let's kind of explain this, all right? So if I do a proxy connection, you'll see right in the dashboard, am I proxying or am I not proxying, okay? That's the button we click, okay? So when I do a proxy, the client is gonna send a packet. It's a big pink square, okay? And the API gateway is gonna wrap that. It's not gonna actually change that value, but it's gonna wrap it with some metadata some contextual information uh, that you might need on the back end, okay, about the request, maybe about some security, different things like that. Then the, the service, and in this case it's a Lambda, is gonna get that, and then it's gonna do some work, and then it's gonna send it back, okay? And when that comes back through, if it's a proxy, the API gateway says, I didn't touch it. All I did was push it on through. He won't, he won't handle your status codes, he won't handle your headers, Anything like that, he's not gonna touch it. That's an integration. So really what's happening here is the API gateway is just saying, here you go, here you go, all right? Now can you see why I said if that's all you're using it for, it's probably a little pricey, okay? So let's look at an integration. So with an integration, where I uncheck the box on the internet, an integration, the client sends a request through, and it's a, it's a uh, big pink square. And then I use a thing called VTL, which stands for Velocity Templating Language. And it's just that. It's a templating language that Apache created that supported an API gateway. I can modify that request. I can take that request from a pink square, and I can turn it into a pea green circle. It's an amazing technology, okay? But I can, that, I can make that look, and I have logic, I can use some if-then logic, I can grab some parameters, I can load some static data, I can do all kinds of things, okay? So then, the, then what happens is the function gets that and then it responds with its response. And then I can once again, I don't have to, but I can once again, through VTL, set some values, change, and I change the shape of the response, okay? So through that, I have a lot of control that's happening. Okay, so let's get a little more practical example. So let's say I have a before VTL that shows first name, last name, phone, city, state, and your favorite pizza. And somebody, some crazy thinking person says their favorite pizza is pineapple. Well, everybody knows pineapple should not be on pizza. <laughs> That's the end of the session, have a good day. So after VTL, so I'm gonna run it through VTL and it's gonna take it, it's gonna modify that and I'm gonna combine my address, okay, my city and my state and I'm gonna put it in an object because that's how we like it in the back end and I'm of course gonna change the favorite pizza to pepperoni, okay? So there's a logical change, everybody should do it. So that's how that works. So VTL again gives you the ability to change how that maps. But there's a couple things to understand with that. So let's talk through the, through, let's talk through the life cycle of that request response and everything when we're doing an integration, okay? So the first thing, when that comes in, you're gonna get a, a uh, method request. And at the method request, here's what's gonna happen. I can do modeling, validation, 
and I can do transformation. Now this isn't the VTL transformation I was just talking about on the body, but I can add some headers. I can add some static values. I can do some, some changes to the values coming in, right? The next thing it's gonna do is it's gonna pass it to what we call an integration request. Now this can be in front of any number of the 100 plus services that I was saying um, that, that are supported in API Gateway. And here's where those transformations happen. So here's where we can apply our VTL. And so here's a great example. I was in Copenhagen about two weeks ago and one of the, I did a demonstration on building a functionless URL shortener because the world needs another URL shortener, as you well know. Okay, and so the idea here is that is I was able to say, I was able to connect a, a API gateway directly to a DynamoDB because there's really no logic that needed to happen. I'm just passing in data and I'm making a response with, with the value. Here's the key and I need the response with the right URL to go to. Okay, made it wicked fast. Lambdas are fast as well, but anytime you have hops, you have a little latency added, right? So, uh, so, so you have this ability to do that transformation coming into your service. Now on the way out, you have an integration response and it's kind of the same thing. Okay, I converted the payload going in, now I'm gonna convert the payload going out. Okay, and I can change the headers, I can change the, the body, do whatever I need to do. And finally, I can do the method response. This is where I can add, you know, set some other uh, values, headers, climb in there and you handle your custom errors. Okay, that was a 400, here's what I want a 400 to look like. That was a 402, here's what I want it to look like. Okay, let's go back to number one for a second, that modeling validation. Let me, let me give you a use case for that, okay? So let's say I have a piece of data that I know requires, let's say I'm doing a, a location like a where are you type application. And in my data, I need to know what the device is, so device type or device ID, and I need to know the location. And then there might be extraneous information through like a, a message, okay, so those three. I don't care if I have the message or not, but I need the other two. So I can add a model into the method response to evaluate the body against that says, I have to have a device ID and it has to be a string. And I have to have a location and it has to be a string. Okay, and then I can pass another one and I can say, but I also wanna get a message and it has to be an object, but I don't require it, okay? So then when that payload is passed in from the client, before it ever goes to the back end, I can validate it right there and he can say, nope, not a string, kick it out. Okay, now let's think about what that means. First of all, with the validation, you can do pattern matching, you can do regex to, to build that up. So let's think about what that means. In the pricing for AWS, when you're looking at a Lambda, you get a million invokes a month for free, per account, okay? And then you get, <clears throat> excuse me, you get a 400,000 uh, gig of, of uh, memory for free, per account, okay? So if you're hearing that per account thing, one of the things we say is, Split your APIs across accounts to take use of that, or, or your lambdas across accounts if you can, or applications. Now, let's say for some crazy reason, we don't know all the payloads that are gonna come in, they're gonna be kind of wild. So let's say I get 10 million. So that means I'm gonna pay for 9 million, right? But let's say 2 million of those are bad data structures, okay? Now, if I'm validating at the lambda, I'm gonna pay for those 2 million, right? But if I'm validating at the API gateway, that lambda will never be invoked. And I've just saved two million invocations on a service I'm already paying for that's gonna kick it out. You see in the savings there? 
you're also reducing latency for your client, okay? Not a lot, because again, uh, serverless is very, very, very fast. But anytime you can remove a hop, anytime you can remove touching a service, you reduce latency. It's the way it looks. All right, so that's kind of the overall how does API Gateway work on a high level, maybe a little more granular. Now we're gonna get into some of the features that API offers that we say, are you taking advantage of this so that you can go, I didn't know it did that. All right, so let's jump in. So first of all, authorization. How many of y'all have written your own authorization system? Oh, was that fun? How many of y'all love doing that? All right, yeah, same here. Yeah, first of all, I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm like, look, just call me and tell me who you are. I'll let you in. Yeah, so one of the things you can do is you can use authorization, uh, authentication authorization right uh, at, at API Gateway. And I'll explain how that works. So there's several different ways you can do authorization. First of all, you can do an open, okay? And you're like, well, that's not authorization. Yeah, you're right. But I wanted to say, you can have an API gateway that is just open. And sometimes that's the easiest kind of authorization. Look, we're getting still ripped off, but I, it works, you know? I'm not saying go that way, okay? Don't quote me out in the Twitter world. But it, it, that's, that's one way you can go. So the first thing we have, we have this concept called authorizers. Okay, and you build it, you, put, you attach an authorizer to API Gateway, and that authorizer can do several different things. The first thing is it's what's called an IAM permissions authorizer, or I say IAM, and I don't care if it's wrong. Um, and uh, it, what it does, it uses IAM policies to, to, let you, to decide what you should be able to get access to. In order to use that, you need to have a signed request. So your client's gonna build and sign their request using some different libraries, using SIGV4 format, um, and that gets complicated. One of the cool things is, and I'll show you in a little bit, is you can actually export the SDK you need from API Gateway to do that work for you, okay? But that's the first way you can do that. The second way is what's called an Amazon Cognito authorizer, and this is a really common way of going. So has anybody used Cognito? All right, great. If you're not familiar with Cognito, what Cognito allows you to do is you can do multiple things with it, but one of the things is you can create a user pool experience. So I can create a user pool where, where customers can actually go, they can sign up, they can log in, they can fix their forgotten passwords, they can, they can request their tokens again, and it handles it all for you. And you can interface with that via an API, or you can actually have it host your login pages. I have a, I have a um, a CloudFormation or a SAM script that will build an entire authentication system. You tell it the domain name, you tell it the application name, builds it all out, literally. And then so what I can do is I go to my, you come to my website, you hit login, it pops over to the same domain, but just a, a, a different domain on it or a subdomain, and you authenticate, then it pops you back, okay? You see that all over the place. So Incognito hosts that. So with that, then we bolt an operator or, or an authorizer onto API Gateway and we say, when they log in with that and you get a token from this authentication, then you validate it. So let me walk you through that. So like I said, you come to my site, you do the sign-in. Uh, you're gonna get a, a set of credentials or, or a, a token back from me. Then your website is gonna take that token and validate it against the Cognito service to make sure it's right, and it's gonna get a JWT token back. Then you're gonna pass that on every request against the API Gateway. Because it's Cognito, because it's our service, API Gateway already has the, the, the keys that it needs to make sure you are who you are based on the, uh, the client ID that comes out of Cognito. So it's a very fast authentication. Boom, you're in, OK? 
okay? The, the last one is what's called a Lambda authorizer. For those of you who raise your hand who, who are, have built their own, this can come in really handy to you. Look, we want to use API Gateway. We want to roll off the authorization to API Gateway, but we have our own authentication system. All right, so what you can do is you add a Lambda authorizer to API Gateway, and Lambda will actually, and all it does is it calls a Lambda, and then your logic is run inside the Lambda, okay? And then you pass back a set of credentials to API Gateway or, or, or yes authenticator to no, I'm not authenticated. So you may be hitting an AD. You may have it you know, call your mom, say, can I come in? Whatever you want to do, that, that logic is done at the Lambda and then it's passed back. So there's a lot of uh, customization you can do there. All right, so we get past security. The next thing we look at is optimization. And the first thing for optimization is caching, okay? If you don't have a caching store, I would heavily encourage you to look at one, okay? I mean, you may say, look, Eric, our data is so hot, it's so dynamic, we can't cache, it doesn't make sense. But I would tell you that even if it's a time to live at five seconds, you can save. If you're getting hammered that fast and you can save some of that, respond to the same data. Okay, so what, what you're able to do here is you can turn on caching, it's managed through API Gateway, and it's effective for quick responses uh, and to minimize load on your backend, especially if you're not using a serverless backend and, and your downstream doesn't have the, the, the capacity to respond, right? You can leverage cache keys, and you can do it on path headers, query strings, and it can be set up by stage or method. So if I have a stage, uh, like a, a, a development stage, I don't want to cache that. I want to be able to test on that. But my production stage, I want to be caching that. Okay? So if you're not looking at caching, I encourage you to do that. The second way to optimize is throttling. So those of you using API Gateway, have you set up throttling? Anybody? Okay, a couple. Anybody use throttling elsewhere? Okay. Let me explain the throttling story to you on API Gateway and how it works and why it's helpful, okay? It comes in four phases. Let's start with the first one. This is at an account level, okay? And it's really, it's, it's at your account, but it's per region. What you get are 10,000 requests per second and 5,000 bursts. So let me explain what that means. Let's say I have this hot up and coming application and I'm gonna get 5,000 hits at the same millisecond. Boom, right? And I get that. Well, API Gateway's gonna go, I got you, no problem, okay? But if it's 5,001 in the first millisecond, it's gonna go, okay, we kicked that last one out, but we handled the first 5,000, okay? So that's how it works. Now, if I have 5,000 in the first millisecond, and then I have 5,000, another 5,000 through the rest of the second, that single second, I handled them all because I can handle 10,000 per second with a 5,000 burst. The fun thing is, is that's a soft limit. If you think you need more than that, go to AWS limits and you can raise that up, okay? You can request a raise on that. So, but you know, evaluate, you know, how are we doing that? Now, something that's critical to know is that is shared across all APIs in that region. So if I have 17 APIs in that region, they're sharing 10,000. Versus if I put one API per count, see how that works? I just got 170,000 if I'm doing 17. Is that my math right? Yeah, my math's right. Okay, so that's how the throttling in stage one works, okay? The second way we do it, let me get my fancy button here, is you can do it at a method level, okay? Now this is important. So let's say you have, let's say you do need to have two APIs in the same account. And one API needs to dominate the bucket, right? It needs at least 8,000. Okay, but your second API is like, eh, I don't need as much. I can go easy on this. 
So you get up to 2,000. So what you can do is based on the method, you can go in there and you can set it on the path or the, or the method, uh, but it's going to apply to all of it, and you can, you can get granular with that. You can say this one is going to have 2,000 with a 1,000 burst or 15,000, you know, however you want to do it. Okay. Now the thing you need to understand is I can put at the method level, I can put 15,000 if I want, but guess what I get? 10,000. You can put that, call it a pipe dream, but you're only going to get 10,000. So the method cannot override the account. Okay, it's important to understand. So if you need more than 10,000, put it, it you know, go through the ADMS limits and raise it. Okay, so the next one we're going to look at, this is where we call, this is called a client level. And it's a client level because you, you're going to create a data usage plan and you're going to, you're, or, use, or usage plan, and you're going to tie an API key to it. So this is great if you have a bunch of services that are hitting that you want to limit how many times. You don't want them to take all your bandwidth. So you say, okay, this service, use this API key, and you're going to be regulated through the, uh, through the usage plan. Okay? And so that just says, if you have this key, this is your regulation. But you can get more granular with that, and you can say, if you have this key and you're doing a post on this resource, this is your regulation. Okay, really cool. So let's say you have a service that they can get a bunch from, but because you want to protect your downstream, we don't want them to post over and over and over. So you can say, look, your post is set at 1,000, your get is set at 5,000. Okay, so you can get really granular throttling, and I encourage you, even if you're just saying, look, you know, we only get 5,000 maybe per second, we're good, plan for the future, have it in place, right? Because you don't, you don't want to flood it, you don't want it to go down, right? I mean, it's, it's, you don't want to get rejected. You want to be able to manage that and make sure, hey, I'm not getting hit from other places. So that's throttling. Now, the interesting thing about throttling is I, I told it to you back to front, but how API Gateway is going to evaluate it is front to back. It's going to look at the per client, per method. Then it's going to go per client. Then it's going to go method. Then it's going to go account. Okay, so understand that. And number one can't override number four. All right, that's throttling. Security, well, let's go back to security. We talked about VPC. Okay, I want to show this. I know I talked about it a couple times, but I want to give you a use case for this. All right, let's say you have a monolithic app. Anybody have a monolithic app they're working with? All righty, you loving that? Okay, that's fun. Uh, yeah, I've, I've spent many times on a monolithic app. A lot of questions I have, people come to me and go, how do I, how do I migrate? And I'd love to tell them, well, just shut it down rebuild it serverlessly, and bring it up. You can afford that downtime, right? That's not realistic. They like, go, okay, that sounds like a great plan. Do you have anybody else we could talk to? Okay, so what, what I'm gonna talk to you about real quick is, is, let's say you've built, all right, you've gotten it to AWS, that's the first step, right? So we've done this migration over, we got it, we did a lift and shift, it's running monolithic on AWS, and now we wanna start breaking it out. We wanna move it to serverless. So what I'm able to do is I can slap an API gateway in front of it, but if they're in a VPC, which if it's on EC2 instances, it should be in a VPC, right? Because that's first, you know, the layers of security, like an onion or a cake, right? So what you want to do is you can connect to your VPC through the network load balancer. It does require that using a VPC link. And, and you, you initiate it through API Gateway to set that up. You have all the, the tools that I've been talking about, the Cognito authorizers, resource policies, caching, all that kind of stuff. And it's transparent to your user because right now it's just passing the data right to the back end. Right? So your user's like, well, that's fine. I don't know. So then what you can do is you can say, 
uh, let's say I finally, I, I break one of the services out. I've got this monolithic, I've been able to break this particular type of service out and it's running on a Lambda. I've tested it, we're happy with it. So I can redirect that on the API gateway to the new service. Okay, it's called the Strangler pattern. And so eventually what I've done is hopefully I've broken all my services down and I've been able to put them in, into serverless architectures and then I eventually turn off my monolithic app. I've strangled it out, okay? Now, I'm not gonna tell you that it's zero downtime, but it's minimal downtime. And you might be able to do it zero downtime, but it will help minimize your downtime. So that's one of the places this comes in really handy, all right? API gateway stages. Now, I'm gonna tell you best practice here, and, and, and you're gonna be like, what? I don't use these, and I would encourage you not to unless you have to. Okay, let me tell you why, okay? So an API gateway, uh, we offer different stages that you can use. You can, you can add as many stages as you want, but you, you, you have a deployment stage, a prod, and, and generally what it'll do is it'll look like this, my endpoint, and then it'll have the, the, the hanging off you know, prod beta dev. Now you can get rid of that if you do path mapping with custom domains, but that's essentially what it goes to. Now the fun thing here is if I'm running prod, beta, and dev, those are development environments. And what do we say about environments? What did I say earlier? Put them in different accounts. Because we use SAM to build API Gateway, to build our applications, because we're using infrastructure as code, it's easy to go build here, build here, build here. We're gonna do parameters to do that, okay? So I encourage you, if you're using this for separate environments for development, don't do that. It's complicated. It's hard to move stuff around. You can set it up, if you, if you do need to do it, what you can do is you can pass variables and say, all right, if I'm on prod, hit this alias in Lambda, and that alias will trigger this version of VO3. And on beta, we'll hit VO6, and finally dev is bleeding edge at point nine. But this is not, again, we wanna build these in different environments. Now where this might come in handy is if I have, to, I have to maintain multiple versions in production of the same API, okay? That's where this comes in handy. Hopefully you don't have to do that, but sometimes we do. So rather than beta, prod, and dev here, it would say v1, v2, v3, okay? And that's what you can give your users to do that. But you can maintain that, and using some of the language templating, you can dynamically choose where you're going to point that on the back end. And I've actually had that question. Hey, we have some stuff coming in on a header, had it just yesterday. How do I choose my back end? Well, you can dynamically do that at the stages. All right, so let's talk about releasing real quick. Did you know you could stagger how your API gateway is released? Now, to be clear, this is not the application itself. It may be part of the application because you may be moving out changes to the API gateway while you're making changes to the rest of the application. Or you might just be pushing changes to the, you can do this right in the console, you might be pushing changes to the API gateway itself and you need to stagger this. So we do what's called a canary release, okay? And the idea here is I'm gonna do in percent of traffic for X duration. So I'm gonna say, I want you to run 20% of my traffic for an hour, and I'm gonna metrics the craziness out of it, okay? I'm gonna have metrics on it, and I'm gonna have people watching, okay? So then, if all goes well, then the canary goes away, and prod becomes that, that plus one, okay? It's the new data, okay? Or if it doesn't go well, it stops shifting traffic over to there, and you stay at your current version, right? So you don't have to go blind on deployment. 
Okay, you can, you're like, look, we're just gonna put it out all at once and we're gonna do it Friday at 7 p.m. Because we're that confident. Okay, I call that silly. Okay, that's a nice word for what I'm thinking. That's stupid, right? Now, sometimes, you know, if we have testing things wrapped around it, but you can test these. Uh, so you go, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little bit out. I want just 2% of my traffic. I wanna watch what metrics look like, okay? All right, so next thing we're gonna talk about is security, a little bit more security, is the web application firewall. Anybody using a WAF? Doesn't have to be ours, a WAF in general, okay? WAFs are fun. WAFs are hard. WAFs are joyful. So WAFs come in really handy, and you can bolt, a WAF is a web application firewall, and you can bolt a web application firewall directly onto API Gateway. Right? So if I create one and then I go into my stage, and it can be per stage, I can add it in prod, stage, dev, dev, v1, v2, however I want to do it. And I turn it on and I apply it and I deploy my changes. From then on, any changes I make to the WAF are instantaneous. And here's where that comes in helpful. Let's say I need to blacklist some, some IPs or some site ranges. Let's say I want to do some geo blacklisting. Let's say I want to do some uh, SQL injection uh, monitoring, or I want to do some packet size. Hey, you can't push any bigger than six, which is our limit on, on API Gateway, which, by the way, is the limit also on the new HTTP API. Uh, so you, you have a bigger packet level coming through than some of the other options. Um, but if you need to limit it down to three instead of six because of your back end, you can do a WAF to do it. Now, for blacklisting and whitelisting, it's not the first place I'd go. I would actually go to a resource policy, and I'll tell you why in just a minute, because we're going to talk about that. Um, but this is a good way to handle different things like that. All right. Monitoring your metrics. Man, so in a previous life, I used to work uh, for a partner, uh, and I loved it. I was a solutions architect. And I was like sitting down, and I would say, all right, tell me about your monitoring and your logging story. Are you, are you collecting data? Oh, yeah, we're collecting data. We are collecting it like crazy. Great. What are you doing with that data? We're collecting it. Okay. Then what do you do with it? And, and they always look at me like I'm an idiot. Well, we store it. All right. So is it useful? Absolutely useful. Okay. So you're paying for storage. When do you use it? When something goes wrong. Okay. That's fair. Something goes wrong, we're going to check our logs. Okay. But well, let me give you a tip. How about when something starts to go wrong? Or how, how about when something seems hinky? Or how, how about when we get some latency? It's working because here's the truth. And if you've developed for any amount of time, if you've done operations, you know websites are not Boolean. Applications are not Boolean. It's either up or it's down. Now, there is that because we all know when something's down because it always happens in the middle of the night when we're asleep because that's how life works, right? But what we know is they can degradate or degrade, I think is the word I was looking for, right? There's, there's levels of downness. It might be working, but we're getting latency. We're getting 20% errors, things like that. Metrics allow you to monitor that. And with API Gateway, it's no different. You can dump logs in. You can get, uh, and we'll talk about logs in a minute, but you have Amazon CloudWatch. You have Am or AWS X-Ray, CloudTrail, Config. Now, real quick, in Amazon CloudWatch, you're going to see the 400 errors, the 500 errors, and you can set metrics. You can say, hey, if I get so many 400s, call my wife. <laughs> she doesn't like it, but I guarantee you I respond better. Okay? 
get out of bed and fix it. Okay, if I get, so you can set those kind of metrics, right? With AWS X-Ray, welcome to distributed applications, right? Distributed applications, finding out the problem can sometimes be difficult because it's like, where in the world is this happening? With X-Ray, it lets us see, hey, I'm, I'm latent here. I'm getting percentage of errors here. I'm getting a drag on my DynamoDB here. So you're able to see that in a trace map and you're able to drill down. Uh, I, on all my apps, the first thing I do is flip on tracing. I may, not, I may turn it off for production, but in development, I flip it on. I actually leave it on in production as well. All right, AWS CloudTrail. Here's what I call AWS CloudTrail. It is the cover my backside service. Okay, let me tell you why. Anybody use CloudTrail right now? Good, all right. The rest of you, raise your hands next time, okay? Because in my head, I'm thinking, you're nuts, okay? Here's the thing, when I was a consultant, when I worked in contracting, the first thing I would do is I'd flip on CloudTrails. And one night, it was a Friday night, I got a call and they were in panic, which I don't know why, they weren't in production yet, but whatever. They were in panic and they said, you have deleted all of our lambdas. Which in truth, there were like seven, but you'd think the way he was talking was like nine million. You've deleted all our lambdas. And I literally was like, no, I just ate a pizza. <laughs> and watched a movie. Nope, you deleted our lambdas. I said, all right, let me get right back to you. I hung up the phone. I got in the account, I looked up cloud trails, I found the offending developer that was not my name. I took a screenshot of it. I, put him, I brought him back up. I, I did bring the lambdas back up. I emailed him the screenshot and said, I'm going back to my pizza. Okay, this is a great way to know what's going on. It's an internal auditing, for lack of a better term. And then finally, AWS config where you can actually set a kind of a desired state. This is, what our, this is what it should look like. These are the things we can use. If we go outside of the boundary of that, I need to know. All right, so that's some, that's some governance wrapped around that. So say that we have is logging. Two types of logs, execution logs. Great for debugging and troubleshooting issues. Error, you get error info level. You log full requests and responses. That becomes really handy. Okay, you can also have access logs, okay, customized log format. You can do the CLF, which is standard. You can customize how you want it. Um, this is really handy uh, to, to, you can dump these in, you can't, now I'm going back, I just store them. But you can, you can dump these directly, I haven't pinked there because we just added, you can directly drop these in, in Firehose. So you can do real-time analytics on this. So as data's coming in, I drop it into Firehose, it goes out to Kinesis Data Analytics, and I'm looking at a dashboard that's showing me what's going on. Okay, if you, and that's something you can build out. If you don't want to build that out, look at one of the partners. And this isn't a sales pitch, but look at something, look at one of our partners, because they build that, and they build that observability. They work on that all, all day long, and you might see, the, I'll save some money, I don't have to build that, right? Now, how many of y'all, does anybody build APIs and stuff for lots of different people, lots of different customers, we have different APIs, okay. I encourage you to look at the developer portal. This is literally just an app that we put in our serverless application repository that you can, it helps you do API self-discovery, uh, API registration and key generation, you can do API monitoring and usage, uh, documentation, testing, and then that last one is what I referred to earlier this, this session is the SDK generation. So let me show you a little bit of that, okay? With the developer portal, I can go in, hey, here's my family backend. This is a portal, this is an uh, API I'm using for another session at, at reInvent this year. And these are some of the, this is some of the ways I can test it. I can look at documentation. Uh, I can see the different portals going down the side there. I can search on things, okay? And the next thing is I can go in and as a user, 
if I have access to it, I've logged in, I've created a user, I've got access, and I can create an API key and I sub can subscribe to a usage plan. And then I can see how much am I doing this. Okay, how much, what do my statistics look like, okay? And then finally, this is the one. On this API backend, I was telling you, if I needed to use an IAM permissions or I needed to have a way to, to, in, to integrate with my system and I'm using iOS or uh, Objective-C or Swift, I'm using Java, Ruby, Android, JavaScript, you can export your SDK, and this is highly recommended. If nothing else, just to see how it's being done. Okay, you get the libraries you need, it, it'll handle uh, uh, the, v, uh, the SIG v4 uh, authentication signatures all that kind of thing. So really handy to look at uh, and see how that's done. Now earlier I told you that if you needed to blacklist or whitelist, I wouldn't do it at the WAF. It, it is a place to do it and if you need instant changes, that's a good place. But you can do resource policies on, on API Gateway. And this is a great way to say, hey, I only want my corporate data center at this IP or this CIDR block to be able to reach my API. Boom, locked down. Okay, I only want, I want to add, add uh, you know, I need a blacklist. I'm getting some IPs that are, that are hitting me really weird. I'm going to block those out. I'm getting some, you know, whatever. I'm going to localize this to a, a certain VPC ID or an organization ID. So you could do that through a, a resource policy. It looks a lot like an IAM policy. Okay, you have a, a, you have a, a, a source and a target and how you want to block that. Okay, so that's, that's resource policies. The other thing is client certificates, okay? On API Gateway, you can actually create a client certificate. I'm gonna generate a client certificate, I'm gonna pass it off to my, uh, I'm gonna pass the public keys and stuff to my back end. Now this idea is great if you run like, I mean anywhere you can do it, but like EC2 instances, things like that, where I trust, but I'm gonna verify. And man, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Trust, but verify. So my back end can get that client they can check it against the key and they can say, hey, this is the person I know that can, has the rights to get there. And this is really handy if I'm crossing accounts, if I'm doing some migration stuff, all kinds of stories there. All right, just a couple more features and then we'll wrap this up here. Next one I point out to you, you can do custom domains right in API Gateway. A lot of times we go, well, man, that one, two, three, four, five, dot execute, dot API, dot US East one, dot blah, 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 blah. That's a long one. Okay, I don't want to use that. When I built that URL shortener, I somehow snagged the do domain. I was so proud of it. It's called slip.link. It's like, that's really cool. So I was able to slap that right into a custom domain. You can also just recently, in the last month or so, we added wildcard domain support. Okay, so then what I can do is I can have multiple domains in an account. Okay, let's say for this, I'm, let's say I'm building a single application, but I want to break it down into some logistical uh, separation. And I can have one, two, three applications. Then I can point when I'm doing my custom domain, because it's not tied to one single API. It's part of the API service. So I can say, create this API, it's custom API, and if they hit cars, hit this, dom this API gateway instance. If they hit dogs, hit this one. If they hit cats, just throw it out. I'm not a cat lover, I'm not gonna lie. My, my six-year-old loves cats. I'm allergic to cats, okay? So she actually asked me the other day, she said, hey, if you die, can we have a cat? <laughs> There's no point to that, so I owe you like five seconds of your life, but I just thought of it, so. Anyway, so you can, you can break that out in different domains. And the last thing is, kind of where we started. 
Okay, I told you, you could do things through the console. If you're looking to learn how to do API Gateway and you're trying to figure out what does that look like in Swagger, what does that look like in whatever, well, you can build it in the console and then you can export it as a Swagger template or an open API. Now, if you get confused between those, Swagger is just the older version of open API. So really, let's just say open API, okay? So you can export that and you can actually say export it with the special API, um, API Gateway tags in it. And then you can actually take that template drop it in a SAM template, launch it again. Okay, so it's a great way to learn it. It's not pretty, I'm not gonna lie, but I'm not pretty and they let me talk. So there it is. Folks, I appreciate your time. I encourage if you can, uh, we do some serverless training, check this out. Uh, and also follow me on Twitter if you can. I, again, I talk about serverless all the time. I hope that you learned something today. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna clear out just a few, uh, but I'm glad to answer questions. I encourage you to hit me on Twitter. That's one of the best ways. I hope you have a great reinvent. Have a good day.